to our teaching in the book of 1 Peter. Now, the last time we left off, we were in chapter 3 as we were dealing with how God wanted men, that is husbands, and wives, that is women, to act towards one another in a domestic relationship. Now, what we have to remember is the very theme of Peter is dealing with sufferings, and we're going to see that especially as we get into chapter 4. But the, the point that Peter was trying to make was that God has a standard of life, a way that he expects his people to live even under sufferings. That is, for the woman, even if the husband is not treating you as he should, you should still be in submission to that husband. And the husband, even if that wife is acting in a very contrary or even a rebellious manner, the husband should still live with the wife in accordance to wisdom, recognizing her distinction and differences from himself. And in all of these things, Christ becomes our primary example of how we should live even when we suffer. So that is basically the tenor and the idea of all of 1 Peter. And that concludes, for the most part, that domestic uh, point that Peter was trying to make in how the Christians should live their practical everyday lives in a world that is difficult to live in, in a world that's full of suffering. So with all of that, we're going to continue into chapter four. And chapter four, even though it has some length, it is still something. I actually think chapter four will be quite short and we'll be able to complete this very neat and succinctly as Peter sums up the idea of living in a pagan world and suffering and being ridiculed at the hand of those pagans as we live as God's people. Okay, but anyway, so let's continue, but we don't want to forget the full idea of First Peter is to these particular Christian Jews who were scattered amongst the Gentile nations, how they should live as godly people in a pagan society. And that's the overall idea. And that pagan society persecuting or causing them suffering. Okay, let's wrap chapter four up. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer to the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And so what Peter now begins to say is this, using or seeing Christ as the ultimate, exam ultimate example of suffering, we should likewise be prepared to suffer as well. So in our preparation, in our preparation to be more like Christ, have the mind of Christ. And that word, would you see where it says purpose, it is that Greek word ennoein, which deals with the mindset. Have that mindset in us that we will suffer in this world when we try to live godly lives in this world. And notice what he says, because suffering has a purifying way of, of making the Christian life, the life of the Christian better. Notice, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Suffering has a purifying way of making you live right. And, and, and 
I don't want to get into a lot of details in talking about it, but maybe you have experienced this. It is something about the closeness, the connection, and the holiness, and the godliness that we feel in a transforming way in our hearts, our minds, our lives, when we suffer, when things are difficult, it's that closeness that we feel to God, that transforming power of suffering. And this is basically what Peter is trying to say. He who has suffered in the flesh, notice what it does, cease from sin. It has that purifying effect of her. But anyway, so that we don't live the remainder of our days to the desires of the flesh, nor to the desires of sinful men. So suffering purifies us and suffering conforms us. As a matter of fact, there's a word called sanctification and that's the idea of what suffering does. It sanctifies us. It makes us to be more so of what God would have us to be. Verse three, for the time already has passed. The time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So, Peter goes on to say, in a, in a way we can simply say, time out. Time out for ungodly living. And that's basically what he's saying in verse number three. The time has already passed, what? To carry out the desire of the Gentiles. And here, Peter is not simply talking about the unbelievers, but he is literally talking about pagan Gentiles. As we said earlier, we don't want to forget that the intendant recipients of this letter were to literal Jews who had been scattered abroad because of the persecution in Judea. So these are Jews who are living in a pagan Gentile world who neither know the true God and, and indeed they don't know Christ and they are living in their pagan idolatrous manners. And so Peter is simply saying, and as for you Christians, Time out. We do not participate in the desire of the Gentiles. We don't live in the manner of the Gentiles. Or I can even say we don't live after the world. We don't do what the world does. Notice what he talks about. It's the first sins, pursuing a course of sensuality and lust. And, and needless to say, uh, because I don't want to get into any of these particular topics and just lose all of my time in the video. But the first sins that he begins to talk about are sins of sexual immorality. Those sins pervaded the society in that day and indeed the sins of all types of sexual immorality, of lust, of, of fornication, of homosexuality. You see all of the transgenderism and all of this foolishness but all of these things, he is saying that this has no place in the Christian life and thus the Christian should separate themselves 
from the world's identification with these sins. Drunkenness speaks for itself. Carousing, running the streets, finding foolish things to do. Drinking parties speaks of itself and even lawless idolatries. And we find all of that even trying to permeate the church itself. The word, I have seen such foolishness as the church of Beyonce. And if that is not idolatry, I'm not a black man. But nevertheless, it is time out that the church and that God's people should separate themselves from these defiling things of the world. And then notice what he says, and there is condemnation from the world. And this is what we see all the time. There is a hatred for God's people because of what we believe in and because of how we live our lives. And that is, we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and therefore we want, as Peter said, early in chapter one, be holy for God is holy. The world rejects this. And what does he say? They are surprised that you don't live in the same manner, that excess of dissipation. And what do they do? They malign you. They talk about you. And even today, especially in our country, we can see this hatred for Christians. It's like, as long as you hold certain beliefs, especially when it comes to sexual purity, you will be maligned, hated, and spoken against. And this is what Peter is simply saying to, saying to these particular Jews here. And as they separate themselves from the sins of their society and the world around them, how they would not only not be accepted by the world, but they will be hated and talked about by the world. And this Jesus prepared them for in the first place when he said, if the world hate me, if they hate you, know that it hated me even before that it hates you. And again, what? The servant cannot be greater than the master. But anyway, so he said they continue to malign you, but nevertheless, and he ends in verse number five and says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Ultimately, they will be judged by the Lord. So here we see that Peter is giving in chapter four as he ends in how basically in chapters uh, one, two, and three, we kind of put them together a little bit, but basically two and three, as he was given that uh, those commands and how Christians should live in a practical sense, we can see that warning that he is beginning to give now. And that's how verse chapter four uh, is setting itself up as a warning from the apostle Peter, how Christians should live in a God-hating world. Why? Knowing that one day God, that is the Lord Jesus himself, is going to judge those who live and even those who have died. All right. And concerning that, building upon that, he continues in verse number six. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be sound, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. 
employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so now he continues on with that concept of judgment. And that's why he says what? For the gospel has been, for this purpose, the gospel has been preached even to those who are dead. And that, that seems to uh, uh, relate to the gospel message of Jesus Christ being preached, having been preached even in Peter's time to, as to the time of his writing of this epistle, some have already died. But what is the end result? Because remember the idea of what Peter is talking about is the day of judgment when the Lord Jesus will judge all men. And in particular here, he's pointing to those who have heard the gospel and those who heard the gospel and were obedient to the gospel, verse number six, even though being ridiculed by the world, judged by the world, maligned by the world, and they are now dead, but now being judged by Jesus, their reward will be spiritual life. So therefore he is saying, be mindful of how you respond to the gospel. Respond how? Respond, not so much as responding in faith. I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I believe he died for my sin. No, no, but respond those who say you have faith in how you live. Because what? True faith is evidenced in how you live. But now let's continue. So he continues on with the concept and the idea of judgment, verse number seven. The end is therefore near, knowing that one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What does he say? Be, be of sound judgment and sober for the purpose of prayer. Be mindful of how you live. Live a life that is pleasing to the Lord and live a life that is saturated in prayer, in the fear of judgment. And this even takes us all the way back to what Peter was saying in chapter one, when he was talking about how we should look forward to the coming revelation of Jesus Christ, who at that time when Jesus comes, he will reward us. So we are living for the coming of the Lord. So we are willing to suffer and we are living obedient lives so that when Jesus does appear, he can say again, we keep saying it again and again, what? Well done. So he continues on with the command to build the church and for the church to build up one another. So this is what happens in the very end of this section. The commands to build up the church in the building up of one another. What? Fervent love. Remember, he laid that foundation in chapter one. Of all, of all things that we should have a fervent love. This is not the love for all people. Notice he said love for one another. It's fine to have a general love for all people. But Peter is not talking about that. He is talking about for those who name the name of Christ. We are to have a special and a unique love. And so therefore, that's why Peter calls it agape and even a fervent 
love for one another. Why? Love covers a multitude of sin. There is no perfect Christians. And we will do, and you know, Jesus says it is inevitable that stumbling blocks may come because of the sinful nature of who and what we are. We will say things wrong, do things wrong, and from time to time offend one another. But if you have this fervent love that God is commanding through Peter, what does it do? It doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't excuse it, but it covers so many sins. Love is forgiving. And that's what Peter is trying to say. So teaching forgiveness for one another and then hospitality towards one another without complaining, being kind with one another, being thoughtful to one another. And then he talks about spiritual gifts in verses 10 and 11, as each one has received the, and the word here is charisma, which is the word for spiritual gift. So every, which is goes to say, and we see Paul talking about that uh, a great deal, 1 Corinthians 12, and I believe also Romans chapter 12, a spiritual gift. When a person is saved, the Holy Spirit uniquely gives that individual one or more gifts to serve the body of Christ. This is done at the point of salvation. Gifts cannot be acquired. They cannot be added on. You cannot pray for additional gifts. I did a teaching somewhere in one of these videos about spiritual gifts, uh, basically dealing with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is the idea of what Peter is saying here. As each Christian individual has received a unique spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit himself, use it as a faithful steward to serve the body of Christ. And these gifts are what? A part of the manifold grace of God. This is what God has given a person without merit. This is the will of the Holy Spirit to give to you nothing that you did it to deserve it, but all of it comes together to work in the body of Christ for the benefit of Christ. And so he continues on in expanding that idea in using whatever gift that God has given you to serve and build the body. That is, if it is a gift of utterance, one of the speaking gifts in some sense or another, do it, do it by the power of God. If it's a gift of service that God gives you to serve the body, one of the serving gifts, because there, I think there are about a total of 19 different gifts, I do believe, of the Holy Spirit. But whether it's a speaking gift or whether it's a serving gift, do all to the glory of Jesus. Do not do it in a self-serving way. Do it for the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if I was to stop here and make a comment, it was to it would it would be simply to say, let us always be mindful of pride in our heart, of being self-serving in our heart. Always test your motive for what you do and why you do. God knows why you are doing everything that you are doing. And sometimes we'll do it for the praise and glory of ourselves. We'll do it to be recognized. We'll do it so that we can stand head above the shoulders 
of other men. And in this, there will be no reward from Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter says again, why do we do what we do? For the glory and honor of God, especially preachers, especially pastors and teachers, always search your heart and even ask God to purify your heart so that what you do, you do it for the glory of Jesus, not for your pride and your arrogance, you don't do it for money. You do it so that Jesus will say, well done for the glory of the Messiah. He is the only one who is deserving of any glory. Why? He came and died. He rose from the dead and he alone is God. So therefore, glory to God alone. And we ourselves are nothing more than earthen vessels. Okay, now with all of that, let's go on down to the end. Verse number 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. And so again, where are we now? Still, and as we'll see here, as we come to the end of chapter four, we're going to see the key word, the key word in first Peter again, suffer to suffer. And the theme of first Peter, that the righteous are suffering unjustly, but still, even in suffering unjustly, live in a manner that pleases God. So he says again, what? Don't be surprised when you are suffering unjustly, fiery ordeals that come. And these things comes for your testing so that the Lord himself who allows you to suffer may see how you live in this particular situation of testing and can say unto you, you have done well. Well done. So don't be surprised to see all of the sufferings that the Lord allows you to go through, but in the degree that you suffer along with Christ, that you suffer like Christ. Remember, he says what early on two occasions, Jesus has chapter one, chapter three, that Jesus has become our example of sufferings. Rejoice. Why? That because at the coming of Jesus Christ, Suffering will be over and it will be time for our exaltation. Then he says, verse number 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief or an evildoer, a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So now he continues on and says, what? And even in your suffering, if we suffer because we are Christians, notice if you are revived for the name of Christ, if the world hates us, if people again malign us because we say we are Christians, we are living the Christian life. And even reference back to the life of the white 
how if you are maligned woman because of how you live for Jesus, if you are aligned man because of how you live, or if you are aligned slave employee because of how you live for Jesus, it doesn't matter what they say. The judgment from heaven concerning you is one word, blessed. You are blessed. Why? It is an indication that the spirit of, spirit of God and the spirit of glory rest upon you. If the world is hating you because of who you are and how you live, it simply shows the opposite concerning God himself. God is saying, indeed, he's proud of you. And then he goes to say, However, on the contrary, like he said in the other place, remember he talked about, about uh, a slave and how uh, enduring uh, uh, patiently uh, uh, when you have done wrong is no big thing. So once again, he starts to talk about that. Do not suffer because you are what? Murderer, Ooh, a thief or someone who does evil or somebody who's busy in the business of other folk, a troublesome meddler. We don't suffer. It's no great thing to suffer because you have done wrong. Again, the very idea and concept of Peter's letter is how the Christian should practice their lifestyle. Live holy before God. And since he's talking about suffering here, he is saying it is a gracious and a glorious thing to suffer for Jesus for doing right. It is not a good thing to suffer for doing what is wrong, murder and all of that. A verse, the verse number 16, he, this is the first usage of Peter's term as Christian. And that is as a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but rather instead of feeling sad or instead of feeling embarrassed, Glorify God because you are a Christian. We are not to hold our heads down. We are not to be ashamed. And when the world talks about us and say all manner of evil about us and say that we are backwards and everything else, you know, the world really hates Christian folk. We don't hold our heads down in shame, but we lift our heads up towards heaven as sons and daughters of the most High God. All right. Now let's bring this to a conclusion. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Okay, so now he ends the chapter beautifully. Notice what he said. For, notice, instead of being ashamed, be sober, always looking forward to the end at the appearance of Jesus Christ. Why? The, the whole tenor of what he's been talking about is, for there is a day of judgment that is coming. And even that time is now, appointed time. Kairos is the word that he chose here. For the time for judgment is to begin with the house of God. So judgment starts with us. Even in the difficulties, 
in the purifying difficulties, in the sanctifying difficulties of suffering, it also brings about a judgment from God. And this judgment starts first with God's people. And if God's people are to experience judgment first, those who are trying to live in a manner that is pleasing to God, can you imagine how judgment will be for those who don't have God at all, for the Gentiles, for the unbelievers? And that's the point that Peter is trying to make. And that's when he says, and so if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved. Now, Peter is not talking about your salvation. That is whether you go to heaven or go to hell. That's not what he is trying to say. It implies that. It implies that. But what Peter is trying to say is you are trying to live in a way that pleases Jesus. And, th and it's hard because you are suffering. It's hard being exposed to all of this crap in the world. And if it is difficult for the Christian who's suffering and exposed to all of this foolishness and trying to live a righteous and a holy life in this world, and if they are barely saved in that sense, it's so hard for them, what you think it will be like for people who gladly grab hold of these things, incorporate these sins in their daily lives, who live and bask in these sins as a whole. You live any kind of way, however you want to be. Remember the point of Peter here is about judgment. And if the believer comes through judgment, through fire, imagine what the unbeliever, a person who ain't studying God, Imagine what judgment will be for the unbeliever. And that's Peter's point. And so Peter continues on to say, since the judge and the whole point of judgment, judgment for believers is going to be tough. Why? Believers suffering, the believers exposed to all of this crap in the world. It's going to be a lot of difficulty, but nevertheless, such a believer will enter into the grace and glory of God. But the unbeliever who has embraced all of this sinfulness in the world. Remember what he talked about? Murderers, thieves, evildoers, and all of the wickedness that is inside of the world. They don't live holy. Imagine how judgment will be for them. So therefore, believers who have sanctified themselves, who are trying to live a holy life, in this ungodly world, a world that maligns you and speaks evil of you and thinks that you, something is wrong with you, he says in verse number 19, to sum it up, therefore those who also suffer, that is, we're going through ordeals, but I love the rest of the verse, according to the will of God. Always remember, for all of God's people, no matter whatever is happening in your life, it is not outside of the control of God. It is according to the will of God. Now, we may not always understand why God does what he does, but what we can know is God is sovereign God is in control and that God loves you, even though, as Peter has just said, these, and even we find in the book of James, James also said, these are tests. These are trials so that we might come through these fiery trials 
and be approved by God. Can you imagine how Job wanted to know why was God allowing him to go through all of these trials? But we have the strength of scriptures. So what? Those of us who suffer, we suffer according to the will of God. And in our suffering, what? Entrust your souls to a faithful creator. Know your God loves you. Know your God has a plan for your life. And know that in the end, your God will reward you with eternal glory with himself. He is a faithful creator. He will do what he said he will do. And then it says what? In doing what is right. And I like that. And he ends it. He encapsulates all of what he has just said. In your sufferings, as you live in this world, not being a part of the world, not participating in all of the sexual immoralities and the debaucheries of this world. Set yourself apart from this world, even from these Gentile, all of the sexual agendas, the idolatries of this world, you set yourself apart. And even though they hate you and they maligned you, you look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And even though you suffer, you have one thing in mind. You are still going to do what is right. So let me bring it back because it really, Peter's going all the way back to chapters two and three. So slaves, even though what? Your master mistreats you, you do what is right. Wives, even though what? Your husband mistreats you, you do what is right. And husband, even though your wife does not treat you as she should, what? You do what is right. All of you be clothed with humility and fear, looking forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who judges the living and the dead and at his appearance, he will give out the right judgment. He will mete out the judgment to the wicked as well as to the righteous. And to us, those who suffered patiently, he will say, what? Well done. And that is the point of Peter's letter. Okay. All right, guys, thank you for joining me with that. That was a little bit shorter than usual, and I kind of wanted it to be shorter. But once again, basically what we see is this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter is simply warning the believer, and he is simply saying what? Do not entangle yourself with the sins of the world, especially the sexual sins, these idolatrous sins that we see, which are so pervasive in our society today. And even though you separate yourself from these types of things, the world will speak evil of you. They will attack you. They will malign you saying why you don't do the things and, and live the way and believe what they live. But you are Christian. And it's for that reason you have set yourself apart and are trying to live a holy life in this world. Why? Because you recognize there's a day of judgment coming. And when we, and if the righteous 
barely make it. If we scuffling and struggling to live right and we stand before Jesus and as 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 talks about the burning that will take place. If the righteous scarcely make it, he says, man, those who ain't trying to live right, they don't stand a chance. So you be willing to suffer and you continue to live right knowing that your God is faithful and he will bless you at the appointed time. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me with that. If you can say that the Lord has blessed you in these teachings, will you help me continue these teachings? There's always a link in the description that you can use to support the ministry. And for those of you who have blessed this ministry, let me give you a personal and heartfelt thank you and God bless you. All right, guys. See you next time.